invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're reading in Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at the uh, well-known Sermon on the Mount. We spent some time in the Beatitudes together and then last time looked uh, at verses uh, 13 through uh, 16 while we were here in Matthew, uh, looking at our relationship as the church, as citizens of the kingdom uh, to the world in which we live. And uh, so tonight we're going to be focusing on verses 17 through uh, 20. But I'll begin reading at verse uh, 13 of Matthew chapter 5. So this is the, the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray uh, for his help tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we continue our uh, journey uh, along with the Lord Jesus here in the gospel of Matthew, as we are gathered around with the uh, disciples and the crowd on the mount uh, listening uh, to the words uh, of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that just as in that uh, first hearing of these words, so today we are just as needy of the work of your uh, Holy Spirit to be able to hear the words of Jesus, not just uh, being uh, words that uh, bounce off our, our eardrums, but Lord, that they would be words that uh, sink down uh, within uh, to our heart and soul. We know, Lord, that it's your Holy Spirit who does that, who takes that word and writes it upon our heart. That's all a blessing to us of the new covenant, indeed, that your law would be written on our hearts. And so we pray that you would help us tonight to have good strength and energy, uh, both for the one who preaches and for all of us who hear, uh, that we might hear these words of Jesus and go forth uh, to live them uh, in the week to come. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start uh, tonight reading um, uh, the opening words of a study by uh, someone you may have heard of early in the 20th century here in America, Arthur uh, W. Pink, uh, had a collection of studies in scripture in the early uh, 20th century that were not very well read uh, when he first published them, but uh, uh, were uh, better known probably after his death. Uh, but he, was, uh, he wrote a, a series of uh, sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, 
And uh, then he came to Matthew 5, uh, verses 17 to 20. And this is what he wrote. We are not unmindful of the fact that the passage now before us is one which will possess little attraction for the great majority of professing Christians in our degenerate age. And possibly some of our own readers, he writes, would be better pleased if we superficially summarized its teaching uh, rather than endeavored to give a detailed exposition of its weighty contents. Those verses which contains God's promises are far more acceptable in this day of self-pleasing and self-gratification than those which insist upon our obedience to the divine precepts. But this ought not to be, for the one is as truly a part of God's word as the other, and just as much needed by us. If any vindication of our present procedure, he says, be required, it's sufficient to point out that the words we are to examine are those of Christ himself. And he ever sought the glory of God and the good of souls, caring not for either the praise or the criticism uh, of his hearers. Uh, A.W. Pink was not too concerned with how his uh, sermons were received. Um, and so, but he's saying here, we're going to look at these verses because Jesus said them. And uh, it, may not be, uh, it may not be pleasing uh, to our uh, age, uh, as he puts it, uh, but these are the words of Christ. So thus far in the Sermon on the Mount, we have been introduced to the uh, citizens uh, of the kingdom. You remember that's in the Beatitudes. The citizens of the kingdom uh, are nine times blessed. These are not things in the Beatitudes that we do in order to earn membership in the kingdom. These are simply characteristics of citizens of the kingdom. And it starts, remember, all with uh, being poor in spirit. That is knowing there's absolutely nothing we can bring to the Lord or offer to the Lord. We are humbled before him. We are, our spirits are humbled before him. We're humbled by our sin and we recognize our need uh, for him. But citizens of the kingdom, uh, their character is marked out there. It's a, a character that is completely uh, countercultural. Uh, it's not what the world pronounces blessed, but nonetheless, in the eyes of the Lord, nine times blessed are these citizens of the kingdom. And then uh, last time, Jesus has told us what these citizens of the kingdom, what their attitude is supposed to be. Uh, in their relationship to the world. Uh, in family worship, we were reading through, we're reading through Genesis, and we're reminded of, um, of Joseph and how the Bible says that um, the house of Potiphar uh, was blessed because of Joseph's presence. And the, that's what the Bible says about Christians. We are the salt of the earth. And so we are, uh, uh, God uses us to be a blessing to uh, the rest of the world uh, around us as we are being his faithful People, just as Joseph's presence was a blessing to the house of Potiphar, we are the salt of the earth. And earth, and just as the stars uh, light up uh, the night sky in the darkness, believers are also the light of the world. And so we're to bring blessing to the world. Now, from this point on, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus will go on to explain uh, what governs life in this kingdom. So we are to be light. Uh, we are to be salt. What makes us salty? What makes us light uh, as we uh, walk with the Lord? What governs life in this kingdom? Where do kingdom citizens look to in order to understand how to live uh, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? In other words, we're going to ask tonight to start, what is the law of the kingdom? Uh, about 100 years ago, Rudyard Kipling uh, wrote a famous poem called The Law for the Wolves. And, uh, 
And it goes like this, just part of it. Now this is the law of the jungle, as old and as true as the sky. And the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that shall break it must die. As the creeper that girdles the tree trunk, the law runneth forward and back, for the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Wash daily from nose tip to tail tip, drink deeply but never too deep, and remember the night is for hunting, and forget not the day is for sleep. The jackal may follow the tiger, but cub, when thy whiskers are grown, remember the wolf is a hunter. Go forth and get food for thy own. Now these are the laws of the jungle, and many and mighty are they, but the head and the hoof of the law, and the haunch and the hump is, obey. That's Rudyard Kipling about a hundred years ago, from which poem we get that phrase, the law of the jungle, which is, eat or be eaten, hunt, right, Uh, or be hunted. And um, in fact, uh, many folks in our our world, in our country today, uh, live by the law of the jungle. In fact, if you think about uh, Darwin in the 19th century uh, and their survival of the fittest, that's in fact what our philosophers and, uh, and folks have been teaching us uh, for, for many years, that it's the survival of the fittest. Uh, remember that hymn we sang that, you know, what, what fits us to come to Jesus? Well, nothing except our need of him. That's not the law of the jungle. You've got, you've got uh, it's the fittest that survive, and you either eat or be eaten. But what is the law of the kingdom? If you're a Christian, if these Beatitudes are describing you um, as a kingdom citizen, um, and you are the one who is salt and light to the world, what, what governs your life? What law governs your life? Well, a couple things we need to see from this passage tonight. First of all, we want to reflect on uh, Jesus' attitude uh, to the Old Testament. Notice what the Bible says, verse 17. Do not think, says Jesus that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, uh, but to fulfill them. In fact, we'll note in the Sermon on the Mount that even as Jesus begins to speak about the law of the kingdom here in chapter 5, he will end, really, the Sermon on the Mount, referring back again to the law and the prophets. You might remember this from Matthew 7, verse 12. The Sermon on the Mount ends uh, with the golden rule. That goes like this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Uh, For this is the law and the prophets. We usually leave off that last part. Uh, This is the law and the prophets. And so everything that Jesus is going to say here about the law of the kingdom kind of is uh, encircled or begins and ends with this focus uh, on the Lord's word, which has already come. Now, as Jesus came upon the scene preaching and teaching, as you might imagine, it was possible for some people to get the wrong idea uh, of what he was all about. And clearly that's the case, because uh, if Jesus warns here, don't, you know, don't think something, uh, we can only assume, well, this is exactly what was was going on in the minds of people as they saw Jesus live and teach and go about his his ministry. Do do not think um, this way. Uh, That means some were thinking that, in fact, Jesus had come uh, to abolish or overthrow or destroy the law and the prophets. 
Now, they might have got that impression maybe when you remember John the Baptist, the herald of the king, the herald of Jesus, came on the scene, remember, and he saw many of the Sadducees and Pharisees coming to his baptism. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, right, are the, those were the, in sense, keepers of the law. They were the teachers of the law. Remember how uh, John the Baptist received them? Tea and crumpets he laid out before them. No, no, he said this, you brood of vipers, who warned you to come? Uh, or to flee from the wrath to come. And so no doubt people heard that and say, oh, wait a minute here. The king, uh, whom John is announcing, must somehow be opposed to the law uh, and the prophets because isn't that what the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, were all about? And Jesus says, don't think that I have come somehow to do away uh, with what has gone before, to abolish it, destroy it, or to remove it from the scene. Uh, don't think that. Now, of course, today, um, in our day, Christians are saying, well, yeah, that's exactly why Jesus came. He came to do away with the law. He came to do away uh, with the Old Testament. Uh, he is doing something absolutely new. Uh, some Christians today might say, well, listen, we're in a New Testament church. We're not an Old Testament church. Uh, Old Testament has nothing to do with us. Uh, so many Christians today think that that way. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, following Jesus about love, not law. It's about grace, not obedience. And so they make this uh, stark distinction between what Jesus has come to do and all that has gone before. We see this confusion at times in the ministry uh, of Jesus himself. So if you have your Bible open, uh, just turn, turn ahead a couple passages to Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 14 where his, uh, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus, Matthew 9, 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, uh, but your disciples uh, do not fast? And so John the Baptist's disciples, the disciples of the Pharisees, they were practicing uh, fasting, but Jesus comes on the scene um, in his ministry, and his disciples aren't doing that. Are you... Are you overthrowing something here? A couple chapters later, Matthew 11, uh, verse 18, uh, we, read, we read these words where um, uh, we we're hearing about how John the, neither John the Baptist nor Jesus was received by the people, uh, but listen to what they were saying, verse 18 of chapter 11, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, and so when Jesus comes on the scene, um, you're not following in the way of the Pharisees and, and you're making friends of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, the charge that eventually led to Jesus' death on the cross was that he was a law breaker. Uh, Jesus was, a, uh, was the revolutionary. Uh, and that is why he eventually is put to death by the people of the day, whipped up by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's, he's tearing down everything of our religion that has come before. Uh, this is why, by the way, that in our own day, in the 60s, 70s, this was a big thing. Jesus was appealed to by what was called liberation uh, theology. Uh, and they looked to Jesus as someone who is against all systems. He, he's against all authority. Uh, he is the great rebel. He is the great revolutionary. 
He is against all political rule. He's against all legal codes. He's a rebel revolting against the rule of law. Revolting against all that has come before. And so just as Jesus did that, um, we need to do that in our cultures today. Just to tear down. Now this is what Jesus apparently, here in Matthew 5, is concerned to correct uh, specifically with regard to his relationship to the Old Testament. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to do that, but to fulfill them. The word for abolish there is katalusai. It means to destroy, tear down, or to do uh, away with. Jesus did not come to overthrow, to stop, or destroy the law or the prophets. It will not fail. It will not come to an end. Instead, Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law or the prophets. The word fulfill is the word play rosai. It means to to make come true. It means to fulfill. It means to complete. It means to fully uh, fully make known. It has all those meanings to it. Notice, by the way, that even at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus knows exactly who he is. Um, I have not come, says Jesus. He knows that he is, uh, he is the Messiah. He is the one who's come uh, from heaven uh, on a mission. He already knows that this is uh, his mission in life. And he wants to make clear he's not misunderstood. The law here, sometimes uh, in the Bible, you might know the word law, sometimes refers to the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, but often to the whole Old Testament, as it will uh, in the next verse. So what is Jesus saying? Well, listen to J.C. Ryle. The Lord Jesus came to fulfill uh, the prophets, the predictions of the prophets, who had long foretold that a Savior would one day appear. He came to fulfill the ceremonial law, All the sacrifices and ceremonies given in the Old Testament pointing to a blood sacrifice for sin, the great sacrifice for sin, to which all the Mosaic offerings had ever pointed. He came to fulfill the the moral law by yielding to it a perfect obedience which we could never have yielded, and by paying the penalty for our breach of it with His atoning blood which we could never have paid. In all these ways, He exalted the law of God, made its importance more evident even than it had been before. In a word, as Isaiah says, he magnified the law and made it honorable. Uh, Chrysostom apparently said about this word fulfill, uh, one of the fathers of the very early part of the church, he said the word fulfill means literally to to fill, that is uh, not repealing the former, that is the law and the prophets, but a drawing out uh, and a filling up of them, a drawing out uh, and a filling up of them, making them fully known, fulfilling them in his own life, in his own person, in his own ministry. Now, certainly Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets and that he, he perfectly obeys. We find that throughout the scripture. He's without sin. He perfectly uh, fulfills all that the ceremonies and all that the prophets pointed forward to. Uh, he is, we find out, our, our prophet. He speaks the word of God. He is the high priest. He uh, is the one who offers the sacrifice, and he is the sacrifice, and he is the, he is the great king. Later we'll find out in Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. But this word fulfill, as we've seen, also means to complete or make fully 
known. Don't think I've come to abolish the Old Testament, the law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill them, yes, to accomplish uh, them, to perfectly fulfill all the prophecies and so forth in my own person, but I've also come to, to draw them out, that is to make them fully known to you. So that in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to find words like these. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, and then Jesus goes on to speak of what murder really is. Verse 27 of Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And then Jesus will go on to say what adultery really looks like. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife. Uh, and then Jesus will go on to say what, uh, what marriage is all about. Again, verse 33, you've heard that it was said, and he will explain. Uh, You've heard that it was said, verse 38, uh, verse 43, you've heard that it was said. And Jesus goes on to make fully known uh, what God's law is all about. And so this is the first thing. When we think about Jesus' relationship to the rest of the Bible and here to the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, I have not come to do away with anything that has come before. I am not uh, anti-Old Testament. Uh, I am not anti-law. I am not anti-prophets. I am coming in in, in line with all that has gone before me. I fulfill uh, this law and prophets. That is, I I live it out myself. Uh, I'm all that the prophets spoke about. Uh, All the ceremonies of the law point uh, to me. I live the perfect life that the the law prescribes for God's people. And I make uh, this law and these prophets fully known. I explain them in their depth and intensity to you. That's important because that tells us there's perfect harmony between the old uh, and the new. Jesus makes the law and the prophets fully known in his life uh, and in his teachings. Uh, He draws them out so that everything you read about in the Old Testament, all of a sudden in Jesus and in his teaching and in his life and in his ministry, all of a sudden you see them for what they really are. And that's why Jesus on the road to Emmaus with these men as they're walking with him, he opens their eyes to see everything that was written about him in the law and the prophets. And their hearts, the Bible says, burned within them as Jesus explained to them what this was all about, you see. And so Jesus uh, fulfills. It's the same God, same message, same grace, same law, said Augustine, the old is in the new revealed, and the new is in the old concealed. Uh, But we have it now, fully revealed to us in Jesus. So that's Jesus' view of the Old Testament, which leads to the second point uh, of what he says here, and that is uh, Jesus' understanding of the authority uh, and uh, sufficiency uh, uh, and and the breadth of the, uh, the, the authority of the Word of God. Uh, Listen to these words. For truly, says Jesus, for truly, that's the word, uh, the Greek word simply, amen. Amen, and it's right at the beginning of the sentence. Amen, I say to you, says Jesus, until heaven and earth pass away, not a nyota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is Accomplished. So we know Jesus' view of the Old Testament. What about the authority of the Bible, which includes the law of God itself? Well, this is what Jesus says. Not a nyota, not a dot. The NIV has uh, not the smallest letter or not the least stroke of a pen. The King James had and has not one jot uh, or one 
tittle. Now, the smallest letter in Hebrew uh, is the word is the letter yod. It's like this, just a little, uh, just a little, little hook. Um, the least uh, stroke of a pen or the tittle or dot uh, is referring to the fact that in the Hebrew alphabet, some letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, are distinguished, as you look at them, remember Hebrew is not like English, it's not like you can try to figure out, you know, this is the A and this is the B, they don't look anything like it. And so uh, if you've ever looked at Hebrew, it's impossible, it really is. And so, although somehow I got past it, but anyway. Um, But in Hebrew, um, one little uh, projection from uh, on one letter will make a completely different letter, okay? So, uh, you know, the, well, I can't even explain it, but Uh, certain letters are so close in in looking at them, you mistake them sometimes for the same letter. But they're not the same letter because there's this little projection that comes out from certain letters that changes the letter completely. As mentioned before, law can be used in the New Testament for a summary shorthand of the whole Bible, the Old Testament, as Jesus speaks here. Jesus uses this word, uh, or he starts a sentence for, I truly... I, uh, for truly, I say to you, 31 times uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, 31 times Jesus will uh, start a sentence with, Amen. That is, um, I, I, I solemnly declare and confirm. And so in English, we translate that as uh, truly. And so when someone says amen uh, in a worship service, uh, it means uh, 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 that's true. This is a solemn Truth uh, of the Word of God. Jesus uses it often. And this is what he says here. Until heaven and earth pass away. That is, until uh, Revelation 20 and Revelation 21 uh, come to pass, when there is a new heavens and a new earth, and uh, all sin is cleansed, and it's only the home of righteousness. Um, when, that, when that happens, until, until that happens... Um, uh, not one yoda, not one dot, not one letter, and not one part of a letter uh, will pass, that is, be removed from the law, from the word of God, until all is accomplished. Now, those two things are the same. Whether it's the heaven and earth passing away, until all is accomplished. Those are the, those are the same things. And so what Jesus is really saying here is that uh, not until then... Will what we have in the Word of God pass away? When you are in heaven, there will be no more need uh, for the Word. We will be in the presence uh, of the Lord, and He will speak to us. It will pass away. But until then, the Lord Jesus says, uh, it will remain. We can put it this way. There will not be a T. A T will not remain uncrossed. An I will not be undotted. Uh, until all things are accomplished, which simply says to us then uh, that the law of God, the word of God, is as enduring, Jesus says, as the universe. His word, he tells us in the Psalms, is eternal uh, in the heavens. And if all scripture is breathed out by God, as Timothy tells us, or as Paul says to Timothy, uh, that makes sense. That God's word will remain and nothing will be taken 
away. Now, how is that truth denied today or attacked today? Well, it was being attacked in Jesus' day the same way it's being attacked in our day. Jesus says there's not, after he's just talking about the law or the prophets, nothing's here abolished. It's fulfilled, uh, made known by me, lived out in my life. Uh, that means that, uh, that every word here is, is, it remains, and we're not, nothing's going to be removed until there's a new heavens and a new earth. And, um, uh, and that means that, uh, that as Jesus comes on the scene, there were those who did not like that truth. And so, for instance, we had the uh, traditionalism of the Pharisees, who in Mark 7, Jesus says, uh, you cling to your traditions, uh, but you nullify God's word. So one way that this truth is denied of the enduring validity of God's word that that, uh, will remain forever is you have people that will say, uh, well, the famous, as someone has written, the famous, famous seven last words of a dying church. You ever heard that? We have never done it that way. Or uh, you could put it, uh, you could put it dif- different. Uh, we have always done it that way. The Pharisees, we have always done it this way. Why don't you wash your hands ceremonially before you eat? We have always done it that way. And so the authority of the Bible as the ever-enduring word of the Lord, to which all things are to be uh, conformed and reformed, uh, is set aside by our traditionalism. We won't go to the word. That's why in the, in the Reformation, uh, the term sola scriptura meant uh, scripture alone is to be our standard and that the church uh, is always to be uh, reformed or tested against the standard of that everlasting word of God. No matter what it is, worship, family life, relation to the government, uh, whatever it is. Because in every generation, we wander from the truth. And so every generation, we have to make sure that what we believe and what we're thinking and what we're doing is being shaped uh, by the one standard that is eternal. And will be here, says Jesus, until the new heavens and the new earth. Did you know that the, uh, the fads of the United States in 2022 will not last till the ends of the earth. Did you know that the the standards of America uh, will come and go? Uh, The standards of your friends, uh, what's what's published on the news, as far as what's the most important thing you should be thinking about in your life, that will come and go. And in fact, I will come and go. You will come and go, right? We will not endure to the new heavens and the new earth, and until all things are accomplished. But Jesus says, my word will. You know who else has a problem with this? Uh, rationalists. Rationalism are the people who take the, uh, take the motto, homo mensura. They may not use that Latin term, uh, but they, they live it out, because that's the term translated means man is the measure of all things. And Jesus says, there's not one yoda, not one dot that's going to pass away from the word of God you have in front of you, uh, until all things are accomplished. But we say to ourselves, well, listen, if I, can't, if I can't rationally, scientifically understand this word and explain this truth to my satisfaction, it can't be true. So out it goes. Um, and so you let go of creation and incarnation and resurrection and the judgment. Uh, and this is the view that says, well, listen, God is not allowed to know more than I do. And so if I can't rationally understand something in the Bible... I can't receive it, and I won't accept it. 
And yet Jesus says it's the Bible. It's that word that will be eternal and last until all is accomplished. Last way, of course, is simply we look at this word. Jesus says it's eternal. Uh, Jesus says it will be there, every letter, uh, until the new heavens and the new earth. But we engage in what we could say maybe is uh, uh, outdatedism. And we say to ourselves, well, wait a minute. You know, this Bible is true maybe as far as it goes, but we need, um, you know, we need more today. It doesn't really address the things of today. We need a new word. And Jesus says, no, no, this word that we have, uh, not one yoda, not one dot, is going to be removed uh, until all is accomplished. So that's Jesus' view of the Old Testament. That's uh, Jesus' view of the authority of the Bible. And then here's the kicker. Uh, Jesus says, because this is true of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, because this is true uh, about uh, this, this law not perishing, not being removed or being abolished or anything like that, until all things are accomplished. That means in the meantime, uh, what is the relationship of citizens of the kingdom of heaven to this law? And this is what we don't like. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes, looses the hold on the conscience, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. Read carefully. We'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, says Jesus, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh-oh. Um, what does this mean? Well, we've already seen Jesus fulfills, makes known the law and the prophets. He draws them out, uh, makes them completely known to us so that we can understand them. And they're in perfect harmony with what has come before. As such, then, Jesus affirms the authority of God's word and his law specifically. It endures forever until all things are accomplished and the heavens and earth are renewed in righteousness. Now, because that's true, says Jesus, because that's true, citizens of the kingdom do not live by the law of the jungle, uh, but they live by the law of the kingdom. And unlike the scribes, that is the teachers of the law, that's who the scribes were, they taught the law. And unlike the Pharisees, that is, those who are seen and had the reputation for being ultra-religious and righteous and spiritual leaders who do not love God's law, but actually have set it aside, added to it, covered it over with their own traditions. Unlike those folks, Jesus says, the citizen of the kingdom does the commandments and teaches others uh, to do the same. And Jesus says that is how greatness in the kingdom is defined. Now, that is, that is fairly uh, countercultural, uh, wouldn't you say? Uh, but Jesus actually doesn't change his mind as the gospel goes along, because in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, remember this gospel will end this way. Jesus will say, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what do you do with them? Well, Jesus says, teaching them, 
uh, to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so the, uh, the, goal, the, 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 the purpose of the church uh, is to make disciples of all the nations and then, and then teach them to obey the commands of the Lord and to walk in His ways. That's the Great Commission. Whoever, Jesus says, relaxes. And again, that word relaxes means to loosen, to loosen its hold on your conscience. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, says Jesus, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. It means to set aside, pull down, uh, or break up. Uh, A.W. Pink, as he's thinking about this uh, uh, passage, he talks, of course, about, well, it's pretty obvious, you know, as Reformed folks, we think immediately of, of dispensationalists as those who, uh, you know, set aside, they can set aside in some ways the whole Old Testament. They say it's not for us, it's for, um, it's for the Israelites, and they can set aside other portions of the Scripture and say it's not for us. And, and Pink says, well, yeah, that's true, dispensationalists uh, do do that. Uh, but he says uh, this word of Jesus also announces the disapproval of Christ upon another class of errorists. Listen to what he says. Not a few Calvinists have pitted the gospel against the law. And instead of showing, says Pink, the one as the handmaid of the other, have represented them as being irreconcilable enemies. These men, he says, have disgraced divine grace. Why? For they fail to show that grace works through righteousness and have taken from the Christian, they've taken from the Christian, uh, his rule of life. Their conception of what Christian liberty consists of, this is Calvinist, he says, is altogether wrong, denying that the believer is under divine bonds to walk in obedience uh, to the commandments of God. Though such men be held in high esteem by many of the churches, they are, says Pink, according to Jesus, the very least in the sight of Christ and must yet answer to him for engaging in the very practice which he here denounces. You hear what Jesus is saying? If you take the commands of God and, and you don't obey them as a citizen of the kingdom, and then you teach others to do the same. You say, well, that's not really important. You know that fourth commandment? You know the Lord's Day? Observing the Lord's Day? I don't really keep it. You don't need to keep it either. Not a big deal. Not a big deal to disregard the, the fifth commandment. You know that commandment about honoring authority and honoring your parents? Nobody does that anymore. Who respects their parents or honors their elders or the, the government? Yeah, you don't need to really be concerned about that. We're set free in Christ. And Pink says what that preacher has done is remove from the Christian uh, their rule of life, something to guide them in how to live to the glory of God. And Jesus says that if we take his commandments and we not only not do them, but then we teach others to disregard them, we are called least in the kingdom of heaven. This is serious business. It also tells us, by the way, that all citizens of the kingdom will have cups full of joy in the presence of the Lord. But the Bible does teach that some cups will be larger. Some will be smaller. 
Jesus wouldn't say uh, that uh, there are some called least in the kingdom, some called great in the kingdom, unless there wasn't some kind of, uh, uh, some kind of, uh, of course, all, all that we are given is an act of his grace. But there is, Jesus says, a distinction to be made. As Paul will say, those who have built with straw and hay and stubble all their Christian life, all that will be burned up. But if you built with gems and, and fine stones, well, that will remain, you know, at the, uh, at the judgment. And Jesus says the distinction between the least and, the, and these things all has to do with the citizens of the kingdom, heart attitude to the ways of God and to the laws of God. Now, this is what comes really to the, the most challenging part of this, this passage, because Jesus says, I tell you, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this would have been a very shocking thing uh, for the people who first heard these words from Jesus to hear. Uh, our righteousness has to somehow exceed the righteousness uh, of the Pharisees and the scribes? How is that uh, possible, because aren't the Pharisees and the scribes uh, the very representatives of righteousness in our community? No, they're not. And in fact, throughout the Gospels, Jesus will take pains to say, you know, even though they have a reputation for loving God and loving his law, it's not me they love, it's not the Lord they love. They don't, they don't love the glory of God. They don't do things uh, to please God. They do things to, to seek the approval of men. Um, they, uh, you know, they go through the acts of worship, but Jesus will say in another part, their hearts are far from me. That's not what it means to be righteous. Um, Jesus will go on to say that their righteousness was all a matter of external show, but had, had nothing of the heart for God. And, of course, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ himself when God himself came uh, in, their, in their midst. This is not a matter of quantity. Jesus is not saying you need to have more of what the Pharisees have now. This is a matter of quality. Jesus is saying you have to have uh, the true righteousness uh, that the Pharisees and scribes don't have at all. They did not follow the Lord's law. It's not that Jesus is saying in the Gospels that, um, you know, that the Pharisees had it right and they loved God's law. They loved his word. No, it's the very opposite. They loved their own traditions and they let go the law of God. And more than that, everything they did was a matter of external show and had nothing to do with a heart for God. And friends, what Jesus is saying here, that this is, a, this, is not a, this is not a righteousness of our own. That was the very problem of the Pharisees. The Pharisees uh, believed that they could establish a righteousness of their own apart from uh, the righteousness provided by God in Christ. They went about seeking their own for their own glory. And it's only the citizen of the kingdom who knows that, no, that uh, we are poor in spirit. We come before the Lord. We have nothing of our own to bring. Uh, all that we have received, we receive uh, from the Lord. And so then as a citizen of the kingdom, looking to Christ, uh, our love for him is not simply external, it's internal. Our concern is not for the praise of men or the approval of men, but for the praise of God, walking in a manner pleasing to the Lord. 
So Matthew 5.20 is not talking about the, the imputed righteousness of Christ. This is not talking about the righteousness we have for our justification. This is talking about the true righteousness that is worked out in the life of the citizen uh, of the kingdom who has already looked to Christ as their perfect, righteous Savior. And Jesus is saying that that the citizen of the kingdom who knows uh, Jesus' uh, relationship to the Old Testament, who knows that the word of God, the law of God, endures till the new heavens and the new earth come. The citizen of the kingdom uh, knows that that law, that will, that word uh, is his and her, her rule of life, a way to live in thankfulness to the Lord, not simply externally, but out of a heart uh, that loves him and that desires to walk in the ways of the Savior. And they want to teach others, you see, to do the same. Friends, Jesus' point here is this. For the citizen of the kingdom described in the Beatitudes, the fruit born in their life is the true fruit of the believer in Jesus Christ, who, like the psalmist, like Jesus himself, delights in the word of God, And who can say uh, with the psalmist uh, these words uh, from Psalm 19, verse uh, 9 to 11, these words, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward. And so let us live then uh, as citizens of this kingdom. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you, Lord, for these uh, challenging words of the Lord Jesus, and yet, Lord, words that, that we need to hear. Lord, that it is not towards the Pharisees and the scribes that we look to for a proper view uh, of your word and of your law. For, Lord, even though there's lots of external things Uh, in place, that there was no heart of faith, there was no love for you uh, in the heart, and it was all empty show. Thank you that Jesus shows us that your word is eternal in the heavens, that he has not come to abolish what has gone before, but to fulfill it and to make it known to us the heart of what the law was all about, not just external conformity, uh, but an inward transformation of the heart. For out of the heart come the the abundance of, uh, of, 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 of life and the things that we do. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that we would have that heart of faith even tonight, uh, that we would go forth and to walk in your ways, that we would be conformed to the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would do your word and teach your word to others that they might also uh, walk in his ways as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Heavenly Father, help us remember uh, that the only way that we might be citizens of that kingdom, as Jesus told Nicodemus, was to be born again, that no one will even see that kingdom unless he or she is born again of the Spirit. So give us, Lord, that new life, that we might then see your word in a whole new light, and that we might go forth even this week uh, to live what we believe. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.